Well, good morning, Miles City. How are you guys doing today? Not quite as enthusiastic as first service, but that's okay. I understand it's been a long week for some of you. We want to thank you for those of you that volunteered this week, your time uh, over here at Hooked. It was a great week. Um, over 250 kids between the two locations and um, just awesome to see families in the communities invited by you guys. And so we want to tell you how much we appreciate that. That's why we do it, is to reach our community for Christ. And um, for you that prayed, for you that gave money, for you that gave your time, thank you so much for getting involved and making that a priority. It's a big deal to us. Obviously, it's a big deal to me because my wife's in charge, so it's really a big deal. But um, we do think that that generation needs Jesus, and we know that the seeds planted this week might be a while before we see some of the fruit from that, but we are thankful for you investing in our kids and spending that time. And uh, the riot on Monday night really was something special to see. Um, I don't think you understand. So there was almost 200 kids in here in this middle section right here. And there was a shark that was the bad guy and he was up on stage. And so some of the kids... He was behind Jordan, and Jordan acted like he couldn't see him. And so some of the kids were like right up on the edge right here, pointing like he's right there. And once one or two kids came, then it was like 30 or 40 kids that came. Well, then they decided to jump the stage and chase the shark. And so there's like 40 or 50 kids like running over here. So you have Sean in the back, who Sean is like Mr. Safety. And so he's worried some kid's going to fall off and break their neck. I'm in the back laughing because I think it's hilarious. And literally not one adult in this room got up to help Jordan. We all just sat there in amazement. So Jordan, I understood afterwards that Jordan, you know, he looks like a sweet, jovial guy up here. He flipped his mic off so they couldn't hear it. He said, you guys get in your seats now, like that to him. And magically they all get back. So anyway... But it was, it was a really good week, and uh, we had a blast, and uh, thank you again for that. If this is your first time with us today, thank you for taking the uh, opportunity to be here with us today, and we hope that you've been encouraged and challenged so far. We're in a series called One Hit Wonders. We're kind of looking at some things in Scripture that talk about one thing. Um, we've thought about One Hit Wonders. You think sometimes about songs that hit uh, where a band, you know, that's their only hit, famous hit is one song and they make it big on that one song. Sometimes athletes can show up for a big game. I'm a Cowboys fan and back in the 90s, there was a guy by the name of Larry Brown that never showed up till the Super Bowl. He won the Super Bowl MVP as a defensive back. He had two interceptions. He turned that game into a huge contract with the Raiders the next year and really never did anything ever again. Literally, he had one great game and made millions of dollars off of that game. Um, and it, it was like impressive. I mean, it's like, way to go, dude, way to show up when you needed to show up. Uh, sometimes when I think of one thing, I think about what, uh, things are we focused on? Um, sometimes we can have, uh, a focus where it just, it, it consumes us. All right. Um, you know, those people, sometimes there's people on Facebook that you have to stay their friend, but you have to ignore their post because they're always talking about the one thing that is important to them. And it's not near as important to you. Maybe it's, uh, you know, essential oils or maybe it's um, some kind of diet or maybe it's some politician or something. And you're like, yeah, I'm done with that. Let's click that off. Not that I don't want to be healthy. I mean, I'm a picture of health up here. All right. But thank you for laughing. All right. Um, maybe you're a parent and you know that your kids can get really laser focused on something. 
Okay, and I, I thought when they were little, I expected it. I didn't realize it would translate even into teenagers. You know, I, I have uh, some at my house, and if they play a sport, uh, one of them particularly, he's not here today, so I can say this, and you can tell him I said it, but Liam, man, he uh, plays baseball, and so he'll get focused on a bat that he needs to get, and literally all that he wants to talk about is this bat. Or he likes shoes, like I like shoes, except he is like, he texted me yesterday, is at a baseball tournament, hey, uh, Dad, um, can you check on the porch? It's raining, and I don't want my shoes to get wet. There's supposed to be some shoes delivered today for me. They never came, and so last night, right before he goes to bed, they don't deliver mail on Sundays, do they, Dad? I'm like, no, I'm sorry, son, you're going to have to wait till Monday for your shoes, all right? But it's like, you know, sometimes they can get so laser-focused on something that's important to them. Maybe when they get a boyfriend or a girlfriend, man, that's all they can talk about is this boy or girl and how wonderful they are. And, and uh, we, we look at kids that way, but let's be honest, we as adults can do the same thing sometimes. Um, you know, if my wife tells me it's okay to go get a new car, guess what I'm laser-focused on is finding a new car. Um, and that's all I can think about is like, man, and then all of a sudden you start noticing all these things about cars and that for this short period of time till you buy that car, you know a lot about these cars and then once you buy it, you don't care anymore. It's like, ah, oh, whatever. Um, we sold our house this week and so my wife, um, we have to find a new place to live. That's how it works. They don't let you stay in it after you sell it. And um, so she, with Hook's been busy. Well, yesterday she's trying to catch up on some schoolwork. She's taking some classes right now. And I'm downstairs in the basement watching TV, and I keep getting these texts on my phone about these houses that we should check out. And I'm like, I almost texted back, like, aren't you supposed to be working on schoolwork? But it's in the mind. Why? Because in a couple of days, you know, in a few days, we're going to need a place to live. And so we were going we're to, I trust me, over the next several weeks, I'm going to be laser-focused on finding a house. We have those things that do. And sometimes we laser-focus on, on good things. Um, I'm a, I'm a sports guy um, growing up in the 80s and 90s, more, let's say more in the 90s than the 80s, but it was the 80s, all right? Um, uh, I, I'm a huge basketball fan. I'm a Lakers fan. And so uh, don't confuse that with me being a LeBron fan. I'm a Lakers fan, all right? And they had arch rivals, the Celtics, and the Celtics had this guy that played for them by the name of Larry Bird. And Larry Bird, I loved him and I hated him. I hated the fact that he played for the Celtics and he beat the Lakers several times, although we beat him more than he beat us. But also, I loved his work ethic. And Larry Bird, um, from the time he was in high school all the way through the NBA, he had this routine that he would do every day. He'd get up and he'd shoot 500 jump shots. And he'd say, wow, that's, you know, 500. Try doing it sometime and see how, uh, when you're rebounding for yourself, how long that takes. And then when he would be finished with his 500 uh, jump shots, then he would have to make 99 straight free throws. And if he didn't make 99 in a row without missing, he would start over. So think about that. You get to 98 and miss the last one. Okay. And then after that, he would do his workouts. And then he would lift weights and he would do a bunch of sit-ups. And then he'd shoot some more. And these, he would even do this on game days. Um, Larry Bird didn't understand, oh, oh, I'm taking the night off. I'm not playing tonight. That never occurred to Larry Bird to take nights off. Um, in fact, uh, one of the coaches one time brought his team in early. They wanted to see Larry Bird's workout. And they get in the gym and they're like, he's going to be shooting. We want to see a shooting routine. Well, he wasn't shooting. And some of the guys are like, yeah, whatever. This is just, it's a myth. He doesn't do this. Well, they look up and Larry Bird's up in, this is game day. He's up in the bleachers, up in the high seats, running steps, up and down steps. 
And they're like, oh, okay, that's what he's doing. He'd already finished his jumping, jump shot routine. In fact, Larry Bird was so dedicated um, after five years after he retired, and he had to retire because of health issues. He had a bad back, he had bad feet, and uh, so he had to retire. But five years later, he became the head coach of the Indiana Pacers. And he, um, one of the first weeks that he had uh, camp, he said, okay, we're going to run a time mile. And so he's running with these guys. He's in his 40s and they're in their 20s. And he runs with these guys. And he, in, a, um, in a mile, he ran it in five minutes and 20 seconds. And you say, well, that's not a try it. Okay, see how that works for you. Unless you're a runner all the time, that's very hard to do. But Larry Bird was laser focused on one thing, and that was being a good basketball player. You know, people today, oh, Larry Bird wouldn't be able to play in today's NBA. I promise he would because he'd be laser focused and he'd learn how to do it. And sometimes we can be focused on good things. Sometimes we focus on things that are worth focusing on. Uh, Maybe uh, we focus on uh, um, our marriage or maybe we focus on being a good parent or uh, maybe we focus on uh, doing well at our job. All those things are good. There's nothing wrong with those things. But sometimes we might focus on something that later on we find out, hey, I was focused on the wrong thing. You know, we get really focused on something and then five months, five years, ten years down the road, we figure out, oh, that wasn't the right thing I should have been focused on. But what if we were to ask you today this question, what am I focused on? What would you answer? And better yet, if we were to ask your spouse or we to ask your neighbors or we to ask your friends or your relatives, hey, what is so-and-so focused on? What would they say? What's my one focus? If I had to narrow my life down to one focus, what would it be? Would we be proud of what we're focused on? Would it be something that we wouldn't be ashamed of people knowing like, hey, this is my focus? Are we focused on something that's going to last beyond our lifetime? Or is it going to die with us? Whether we're a Christ follower or not, all of us have something that we're focused on. Does what we focus on, does it bring us joy? Does it bring us peace? Does it bring us happiness? This chapter that we're going to read today, this psalm that we're going to read, David shares some thoughts with us. Whether we follow after Christ or not, share some thoughts like, hey, this is what I want to be known as my focus. This is what I want to focus on in my life. This is what, when people look at me, I want them to know this is what I'm all about. So today we're going to look at these verses. We're going to look at this one hit wonder, this one thing that David was focused on. Before we do that, let's just take a minute and ask God to be with us today. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Today we love you and we thank you that you love us. We thank you for your sacrifice on the cross for our sins. Lord, I ask over the next few minutes that you would just uh, remove distractions from us, Lord, that our hearts and our minds would be clear and focused on the word of God, on the Holy Spirit. God, I ask that I would say the words that you would have me to say, that I'd be submitted to your leading. Lord, we thank you for scripture and for the opportunity to open it and spend time in it. God, I just ask that you would um, speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I forget to do this, but uh, you might see Spanish. If you're new with us, you might see Spanish on here. We're excited that at our 1115 service, we have some Spanish-speaking people that the message is being translated for them through an earpiece that they get to listen to. So we put some of the points up with that. So we want to welcome them. And if you're watching online and you still made it uh, 12 minutes into this, thanks for watching this today, all right? But Psalm 27 is where we're going to be today. Psalm 27, 
A lot of commentators believe that this was a psalm written by David when he was running from Saul. There's some people that disagree with that, and that's okay. Um, But most commentaries agree that David wrote this after he had been anointed to be the next king, but before he was actually king. So King Saul was the first king of Israel. He didn't follow after God, so God went outside of King Saul's family. Really, Jonathan should have been the next king. And instead he anoints David, this young shepherd boy. And David has a, uh, Saul has a love-hate relationship with David. There was times that David was in the court of the king, playing his harp, trying to calm down the king's spirit, be soothing to him. There was times that Saul would take a spear and throw it at David's head, trying to kill him. And now it's to the point where Saul's so angry with David that he's chasing him. And it's not just Saul, you know, running around the countryside trying to catch David. No, Saul gets his army and he's out to kill David. So much so that David has to get his own army to try to help protect him. So they've gone into the mountains and David is running for his life, trying to stay alive. This isn't just like some like, oh, you know, this guy's after him. Oh, sometimes we read scripture and we forget that these were real people. And David is running for his life when he writes this psalm. So look how he starts out Psalm 27 and verse number one. It says this, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. He says in verse number three, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Now it seems like David is on a completely different level than us when he's writing this. I don't know what if your psalm would look like if you wrote one while you were being chased for your life, but mine would not be, whom shall I fear? I'm like, I know exactly who I'm fearing. It's King Saul who's trying to kill me right now. You don't have to write this in. God, in case you forgot, I'm hiding in the mountains and the caves and I could really use you to drop a rock on Saul's head right now to spare me. That would be the psalm of Barry. That's the reason I'm not in scripture, all right? But... David seems to have this relationship with God that's different, that he has no fear, that he finds peace even in a tough situation. His focus wasn't on the problems around him, but it was on the peace that God brought him. His strength wasn't found in a place, it was found in a person. He said, the Lord is my stronghold. It wasn't like, hey, the Lord's put me in a stronghold in these mountains, or the Lord's put me in a stronghold in these caves, or the Lord's put a stronghold of men around me that protect me. He said, no, the Lord is my stronghold. He said, this person of Jesus, this person of the Lord, this this God that I serve, he's my stronghold. Matthew Henry, who was a commentator, he had this thought when he was commentating on this passage on the peace that David had in this situation. He said, the gracious presence of God, his power, his promise, his readiness to hear prayer, the witness of his spirit in the hearts of his people. These are the secret of his tabernacle. And in these, the saints find cause for that holy security and serenity of mind in which they dwell at ease. Security and serenity of mind, able to dwell at ease. David understood this because he had confidence in who God was. See, it reminds us that our focus can bring confidence based on our closeness to God. The reason David was confident was not in his own abilities. He was confident because of who God was. He said, listen, the Lord is my stronghold. It's not that I I trust him to protect me or put me someplace safe. No, he is the safety. 
He is the safe place. He's the one that protects me. He had a confidence in God because he was close to God. He had a personal relationship with him. He knew who God was. God was real in his life. There was something about his relationship with God that brought him a peace, even in the midst of being chased for his life. Even in the midst of a king bringing an army ready to kill him, he still had peace in the midst of that storm. We have to ask ourselves, do we find our confidence in God? Is he who we find our confidence in? Paul understood this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 5. He said this, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Paul understood this in his life. When he gave his life to Christ, his life got a lot harder. His life got a lot more difficult, yet he still had confidence in God because he was close to him. Begs the question, does our focus bring us closer to God? How close are you with God today? How close do you feel to him? Do you feel like God is just some entity that you hear about when you go to church or you read about in scripture? Or is God, do you have a personal relationship with him? How close is he to you? The closer you are to God, the more confidence you can have in difficult situations. So David goes on in verse number four of Psalm 27 and he says this, one thing, there's that statement, one thing have I asked of the Lord, that that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. It's interesting that this was the one thing that David asked for. David could have asked for a lot of good things. He could have asked for health. He could have asked for success. He could have asked to have a happy marriage or a close-knit family. Could have asked to be successful as a king. God, make me a great king. I want to be a good king. That's what my focus wants to be. He could have said, God, my one focus is that you take care of Saul and protect me against him. So many things he could have asked for, but the one thing that he sought after was to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. Some think David might have been referring to his his desire to be a priest at this point. Because he understood that priests get to dwell in the tabernacle. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant is at. That's where the presence of God is. That's where I want to be. Maybe removed from this running. Maybe he knew that, hey, I'm going to live a life of fighting. Not only now to become king, but also when I become king, I'm going to have to defend Israel it's a lot of bloodshed. There's a lot of things that go on. I'd, I'd rather just be in the presence of God. I want to be a priest. I don't know if that's necessarily what he was referring to. It could have been. But I think more was this desire just to be in the presence of God. He, David, throughout his life, he, he put a great emphasis on the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was what represented the presence of God to the Israelites. It was obvious by the way David lived his life, by the things that he wrote in the Psalms, that the presence of God was important to him. Whatever it was, he wanted to be in his presence. He wanted to understand who God was. He said, when I see that, I want to see the beauty of the Lord. I want to inquire of him. See the beauty of the Lord. This idea of seeing who God really is. When we think of the Lord, I don't know about you, but I don't always think of the word beauty. 
It's not the word that comes to mind when I describe the Lord, how beautiful it is. For one, maybe it's a man thing. You know, I don't want to call God beautiful. Oh, he's so beautiful, you know. Just not that type of guy. But yeah, when we start to think about it, it was, it was so much so that David just wanted to see who God was. Think about this. When you fell in love, think about the emotions that you had about that person that you fell in love with. You wanted to spend all your time with them. You wanted to gaze into their eyes. You know, I grew up in the dark ages before cell phones. My wife and I, when we dated, we would write each other letters. You know, my wife would write me a letter and she'd spray it with perfume. Remember those things, all you old guys in here? You know what I'm talking about, right? You get that note from your wife and <sighs> smells so good. Man, my wife still has some of the letters that I wrote her. I was a real Casanova at one point. I just want you guys to know. Okay? I look at them now, I'm like, who wrote these things, man? Good grief. Used to have $300 a month phone bills because we didn't live close to each other and had to call on the phone. You call after 9 o'clock, it's cheaper. Sometimes when you're in love, you just can't wait till 9 o'clock. If I would have invested that, you know, $300 a month, what, how rich would I be today? But I'm rich in more ways than money because I have my wife, obviously, all right? That didn't come out quite the way I wanted it to. Let's not tell her I said that, okay? It's one good reason, that's one good thing when your wife isn't in here when you speak, all right? But you know that feeling. You just, you want to be with them. You can't get enough of them. You can stay up for hours just learning everything about them. That's where David at is. He doesn't, he doesn't care what God can do for him. He just wants to know God. And it reminds us that our focus shouldn't be on the building but the beauty of God. When we come to the temple, when we come to church, and I realize that our bodies are the temple of God. I'm not confused on that. But when we come to church, what are we looking for? Thank you. And we do good here because, hey, we meet in a warehouse, so it's not real beautiful. I mean, never look at the floors of the walls in here, okay? They're rough. That's why we keep it so dark. But the reason that we sing the songs that we sing, the reason that we have a kids program that the kids can be ministered to, the reason that we try to do the things that we do excellent, that we have a uh, guest services crew that greets you when you come in and we have ushers and we have tour guides and we have safety and we have parking and we have coffee. All those things are great, but the reason we do that is so that we can see the beauty of God. We want to remove distractions so that when you come here, your idea when you walk in this building should not be seen. Hey, let's see how good the music is today. Let's see if my favorite singer is singing. Let's see if they sing songs that I like. Who cares if you like them? What does God think of them? We don't sing songs that we like. We should sing songs that he likes. Why? Because we want to see his beauty. It's about him, not about us. It's not about what he can do for us. It's just us getting to know him. David said, I want to see the beauty of God. I want to inquire of him. I want to spend time getting to know him. When I pray, my prayer life isn't just about what God can do for me. It's, hey, God, what do you want to tell me? What do you want me to do? How can I get to know you? What's important to you, God? Not, hey God, these things are important to me. Would you please get in line with them? Is my, is my life more about me or is it more about him? When I come 
to the church? Am I here to see the beauty of God or am I here for me to be happy? David said, listen, I want to see, my focus is on God so that I can be close to him, so that I can see his beauty and so that I can inquire of him. When that happened in his life, there's two verses at the end of this thought that he writes. Psalm 27 is longer than what we're looking at today. But these next two verses kind of go with this thought. Look what verse number five says. It says, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. What a crazy thing for David to say. Here he is running for his life. And yet through all of this, he has a peace. In fact, he has so much peace that it says, I'm going to sing songs of joy. I'm going to sing and make melody of the Lord. I'm going to have a song in my mouth, even when things are rough, even when things, when my enemies surround me and want to kill me, I'm going to be standing there singing. Crazy thought. What it shows us is our focus can bring quiet instead of chaos. We live in a world that's full of chaos. Everything around us is chaotic. And some of us, we fall prey into living a chaotic life. I'm not talking about busy. But I am talking about allowing the things of this world to affect our focus. I'm thankful for my family. I was raised in a Christian home. My dad's a preacher. My dad's been a preacher my whole life. My dad's dad was a preacher. When my dad was 15, his father got up on a Sunday night at church, resigned the church, and left the home. My dad had two younger brothers and his mom. They didn't know this was happening. This was a shock to them. Literally packed his bags that night and left the home. Life could have been extremely chaotic. My grandma, who was an awesome lady, that Wednesday night, they went to old school church where you had it Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. That Wednesday night, she was sitting in the same spot at church that she always sat in. And she had them three boys lined up right next to her. She said, I'm going to find the quiet and the chaos. For the most part, I've lived a pretty good life. I have to be honest. And sometimes I'm like, why is my life so good? And the reason is I have parents that raised me that kept their focus on God so that they could bring quiet to the chaos. I didn't have a lot of chaos in my life. My parents focused on the quiet. I have a dad and mom that loved Jesus. Did everything go our way? Nope. We had some hard times. What I want to model for my kids is I want to model quiet in the chaos. I want my kids someday to look back and say, hey, my parents had chaos, but they focused on the quiet. Some of us today, we're struggling with the chaotic because our focus has gotten off of God. 
When my focus stays on it, listen, I don't get it right all the time. In fact, I screw it up quite often. I can get fired up at my house and my kids see a side of me that I hope none of you ever do. My wife models the quiet and I'm the chaos. But I hope that my kids know that I want my focus to be on Jesus so that even when life is chaotic around us, there can be quiet. There can be peace. We have to ask ourselves, are we finding the quiet or the chaos? What's our focus on? When we step outside this building, oh, it's quiet here. This is like a refuge, man. We come here and I hope you feel that way. But this just doesn't have to be a Sunday. It can be every day. Some of you, you live in such chaotic situations, but you've kept your focus on Christ and you're able to celebrate the quiet. Why? Because you're confident in who God is because you're close to him. Why? Because your focus is on seeing the beauty of God and seeing, inquiring of him, knowing who God is. That's what your desire is. That's your focus. We have to ask ourselves, what is our focus? If those around you were to write down on a piece of paper what your one focus is, if everything in your life was narrowed down to one thing, what would it be? And I hope that our desire would be to know God for who he is. That was David's desire. So even when he's running for his life, even when he's in the mountains hiding, he can say, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. And if you're a Christ follower today, can I encourage you to keep your focus on him? Don't put it on the chaos around us. This world will beat us down. If we keep it on that, we can be an example to where people look at us and say, how can you have such peace even in the midst of all the chaos? And you can say, let me tell you about Jesus. And for you that are living in chaos right now and don't know Jesus as your Savior, can I encourage you that that's the best decision you could ever make is to have a relationship with him? He doesn't make your life easier. I wish I could say, hey, follow Jesus and everything smooths out. No, it might even get more chaotic. Paul gave his life to Christ and the kids learned about this week in Hook. Man, he went through shipwrecks and prisons and beatings and stonings. His life was hard. But it was better because he kept his eyes on Christ. Today, maybe you're gone through life and you've had focus all over the place. You want to you wanna be dedicated to something good. And maybe you've tried to be dedicated to your spouse and your family and your job and being a good person. And all those things are great. But if your focus isn't on Jesus, eventually those things will fail. Because scripture teaches us that we're sinners. We have a sin nature. What we do is contrary to God's will for our life and we make bad decisions. Not always, but eventually if it's left up to us, it becomes chaos. Jesus said, hey, I love them so much that I want to pay the price for their sin. And so he came and he gave his life on the cross so that you could have a relationship with him. It wasn't just to pay for our sins, which was a huge thing. That's the most important thing. But he said, I also want to have a relationship with them. In fact, he told the disciples, I'm going back to heaven and I'm going to give you somebody. It's called the comforter. He didn't call him the Holy Spirit. He didn't call him the Holy Ghost. He called him the comforter. He's going to bring comfort to your life. He's going to bring peace. He's going to bring quiet in the chaos. 
And today, you say, I want that kind of quiet in my life. You can start that relationship with God. Because he did all the work. He did it for us so that we could have that relationship. And so right now, I'm just going to ask us to bow our heads in an attitude of prayer. And if you say, Barry, that is my desire today. I want to have a relationship with Christ. I want some quiet in the chaos. And say something like this to him. Say, dear Jesus, I want to thank you for dying for my sins. Jesus, I confess my sins to you. I believe that you are God. I believe that you died and rose again for me. Today, the best I know how, I lower my pride and I put my faith and trust in you. Thank you for what you did for me. God, for those that are choosing you over the chaos in their life. God, I ask that your Holy Spirit right now would speak peace to their hearts. They would understand that you love them. And Lord, that they now have a relationship with you. God, I ask that they would be encouraged by that. I ask that there would be peace in their mind and their heart and their soul, even right now, Lord. Thank you for that decision that they've made. We know that heaven is rejoicing. We know that this is the reason that you came. God, for those of us that are followers of Christ, I pray that we would be honest with ourselves. I ask that we would do some soul searching and say, what is my focus? So many things pull at us each day, Lord, and I ask that our focus would remain on you that we would get to know who you are. Not what you can do for us, but who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now today, if you made a decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life and you put your faith and trust in him, we would love an opportunity to hear about that. And so there's a couple ways that you could let us know. The first way is on the green card on your chair, there's a place where you say, I made a faith decision for Christ. You fill that out, drop it at the connect area. You can hand it to me. I'll be out in the hall. You can let me know. You can text the word Mile City to 94,000. There's a prompt on there that says, hey, I made a faith decision today. 